Welcome to Toby Haydock's Who's Round. Uh, this week, two interviews for the price of none. Hello, well, this is the weekend of Doctor Who's 50th anniversary, and I'm cheating slightly because there's a bevy, there's a room full of illustrious figures from Doctor Who's history, and I'm delighted to meet somebody who worked on a story and had a key role in a story that I've not covered uh, as I get to the end of my podcasting quest, so I'm going to ask him to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Hi, I'm Anthony Reed, Tony Reed, and um, I was a script editor for two seasons... It's a curious thing with you, Anthony, because you had been a producer. You sort of took a demotion to do Doctor Who. That's an extraordinary thing. Yes, I did. Um, I was, uh, I'd left the BBC as a senior producer. I produced uh, various things over a 10-year period. And um, had stopped. I didn't want to produce anymore. I thought I'd done it all. The, the, the whole feeling had changed. Suddenly, you know, as far as I'm concerned, the suits had moved in uh, <laughs> and the fun had moved out. Um, and uh, so I decided, no, I'd go back to my typewriter because I was essentially a writer. And um, uh, I was uh, uh, quite happy uh, typing away. And, you, you know, yeah, okay, until, so. uh, until one day I got called up by, uh, by uh, Graham MacDonald, uh, the uh, head of serials now at the BBC. And, uh, and, and Graham, whom I'd known quite well before, said, Tony, have you ever thought about coming back to the week? You know, you've been away now for how long was it? was Five years, something like that. And uh, I said, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm, you know, I, listen, you know, I, I, I came for three months once a long time ago, and it took me ten years to dig my way back under the wire, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so really, I don't want to get, get locked in again. And he said, well, never mind. Uh, um, you know, why not? I said, well... Anyway, I'm, I'm, I've, I don't, don't want to produce anymore. I've, I've, I've had it for producing. I've done it, and you know, times have changed. So, well, you still have sort of on your CV, uh, story editor, script editor. And I said, yes, yeah, sure. I know that's one of my skills. And uh, he said, well, uh, ever thought about coming back? I said, no, 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 no. Really, really, I wouldn't. Said, but you wouldn't be producing, and you'd, you know, uh, be dealing with writers and writing. And I said, no, thank you. No, 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 no. And I was ashamed. Him. We were thinking you might, we were thinking you might like to do Doctor Who, and I said, Ah, well, uh, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> yeah. In that case, um, let me think. I said, But it's it's going to be. I'd already said, you know, look, this this is difficult because, you know, I was a senior producer, and to come back as a story editor, script editor, um, would be stepping down. Uh, but it's still full of people that I worked with and who worked with me and for me, and um, but. Um, Doctor Who, now, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, now that'll be fun. I'll come and do a season, uh, just so I've t- to do it. And he said, you can't do one season of Doctor Who. Uh, you know, it'll take you know, a season to row yourself in to get to know the, the, the backstory and the history of the programme. And so I um, said, well, all right, so look, why don't you, uh, if, if you agree to come back, why don't you uh, think about coming back and sort of taking over from Bob Holmes, who was just starting the season now, and uh, pick up the, the stuff that, uh, that he's already got started and, and make up the rest of the series, row yourself in, then do a complete season on your, of your own and, uh, and then see what happens. And uh, so that's basically what I did. 
it's interesting because you talk to a lot of people um, who say, yeah, Doctor Who's massive now, but a lot of people in their career saw Doctor Who as a bit of a come down, and they now go, oh, yes, we acknowledge that it's great. But So you're quite unusual in that you actually actively wanted it. So what was it about Doctor Who? Well, it was... Uh, uh, it was, it was always a fun programme. And the way it was going, uh, Tom Baker had just come in and it was... Uh, uh, it, it, but as I say, it, as you said, it wasn't a, a kudos programme to make at the time. Uh, but I thought, no, this is going to be fun. I like, I can enjoy this, that's fine. And uh, give me a bit of scope. And also, uh, the, uh, I could uh, help out uh, the producer then on Doctor Who was Graham Williams, whom I had trained as a, uh, as a script editor. Uh, Graham had worked for me as a floor assistant and then assistant at AFM, and um, and I'd then trained him as a script editor, and he'd made it, and, and uh, so you know, I knew him, and it would be, I think, I think Graham Graham uh, Macdonald probably had a uh, a thought there that I might be useful in uh, in backing up uh, Graham Williams, and uh, and uh, not not being a mentor but being you know, a, a prop for him as it were a support to help him out through the quite difficult difficult times that they were from time to time mm. uh, so I thought yeah I know that's, that's fair enough you know, I like Graham I can get on with him and uh, I'll do, do a season so uh, I did agree to do the two seasons uh, one today and I said that it'll be that and then I'm off and uh, when the time came at the end of the of my second season uh, Graham came into my Graham McDonald came into my room and said, uh, uh, "Tony, your 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 contract is up next month." And I grinned broadly and said, "Yes, yes, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he said, uh, uh, "Have you ever thought about you know uh, extending it? How about it? You know?" He said, "No, no, no, no. no that, that's it. I've done. Besides, I've just signed a contract for for a book, and uh, just sold world rights to uh, what may be a very important book, and." Um, Really, no, I've signed up. And uh, he said, well, well, can I be cheeky and ask how much they're paying you uh, for, for this book? So I told him. And he said, ah, oh, well, uh, congratulations. He <laughs> <laughs> didn't match the <laughs> No. <laughs> and he well, couldn't, couldn't match it. In fact, the book never happened because um, there were all sorts of, of things. It was a book about, a factual book, uh, set in Iran, uh, during the war, and uh, very, lot of very secret stuff. And um, what happened was that we had a, a, a contact who was a general, head of intelligence in Iran, uh, and he was going to tell us all the stuff that had happened during the war, during the Tehran conference, that's what it was about. And, um, and he was going to uh, do that and open the files up. And suddenly... We got started, and suddenly the revolution happened, and uh, they shot the general and burned the files. Oh dear! <laughs> not, much, 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 not much left to use there. So that was the end of the book. That, that book. Are you wanting to steal that? Well, I will do what I promised to do with Anthony, which was then to novel the Horns of Naimon, yeah. which was your script. It's the, it's the one story from your era that I have left to cover. Yeah. Um, Graham Crowden, Amaze, Kenny McBain directing. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, you, 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 you appropriated the Minotaur myth. Do, so what was yeah. your thinking and opinion of the Horns of Naimon? Uh, <laughs> uh, not, not very happy. Um, I thought, quite frankly, that uh, 
that uh, between them, uh, Douglas Adams, Kenny McBain, uh, and um, uh, Graham Williams, for that matter, as well, uh, got carried away and just turned it into a joke. And uh, it's it's all right. I've gone back to it now recently, in fact, because I've just finished um, an audio book uh. for Audio Go. Uh, except that after spending the eight twelve months, I'm going to get right. I delivered. The, the, the revised script, we, we discussed it, and I did, did, took the notes and, and did it all, and, uh, and delivered the, uh, the revised script, ready for, uh, ready for the book, um, on the Friday. And on the Monday they called me and said, audio, audio go had gone bust. And <laughs> so we will never see it. Well, who knows? Somebody, might, somebody else might pick it up. Worldwide might take it on, on themselves or whatever. They must have, there must be other... There's got to be lots of, of other stuff that's uh, at the moment in limbo, uh, but uh, the rights have reverted to me, obviously, and uh, or my, the rights in, in my part, the, the rights in Doctor Who and the thing, of course, I've um, always always have been with the BBC, uh, but the rights in that story have come back to me. Uh, so um, if they want it, do it. Uh, I'm here. I've got a script. And uh, <laughs> it's available, uh, it's edited. And, um, but what would your involvement have been, because you'd have been, been there based in the BBC as yeah. the story editor, now as a writer with your own story editor, yeah, Douglas yeah. Adams, so what was, your, what was your liaison with, liaisoning with him like? And um, well, it was OK, but of course I'd, I'd given Douglas his first job at the BBC as well, <laughs> uh, for, uh, to, to do in fact, the Pirate Planet, uh, because I'd seen one of the first drafts of the radio series, radio scripts, uh, for a Hitchhiker's Guide. And uh, so I'd seen this, I mean, often, I, mean, I thought this was a guy with enormous talent, which he, which he had, and uh, took him on and, and commissioned him for his first, gave him his first commission, BBC. And uh, he did, <laughs> he did... Uh, this, uh, an outline which we more or less agreed that he went away and wrote his script came back and uh, uh, at that point uh, I was on my own because Graham Williams had gone off on holiday uh, to uh, uh, to um, uh, what do we call it um, uh, a wine, the sweet wine the fortified wine, uh, Madeira and uh, <laughs> fallen, fallen over a wall or off a wall and broken his leg and couldn't get back to it. I was left totally in charge. The script went, the draft script uh, went to Graham MacDonald uh, in the normal way. Uh, Graham read, screamed on the phone and said, Tony, get around here, read it, I want to talk to you. And I said, what, what is this? What's this? What's this? He said, we can't possibly do this. It's impossible, totally impossible. We can't do it. You'd have to reject it. Chuck it out. So I said, no, no, no. I can make it work. Don't worry. We can make it work. I know it's a great idea, full of marvellous ideas. And uh, this is a good writer, it's a, undisciplined, but, but, but full of ideas. And uh, certainly we can't turn this down. So he said, no, 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 we it can't possibly, I can't see how we can do it. It's impossible to do. So I said, no, no, it's all right, I've already talked to Pennant Roberts, who's going to direct. And Tennant, Pennant swears that uh, you know, he, can, he can technically do it in the studio, make it work. Uh, and Graham MacDonald, bless him, said, well, OK, if you're prepared to put your neck on the line, it's your, it's your neck. And uh, I said, yep, I promise you. Uh, so I settled down with, with Douglas and we rejigged it and uh, straightened it out. Uh, 
and uh, it read a lot, a lot of work on it, but it just uh, came out okay. And I then delivered the, uh, the thing there. Lo and behold, the, the, the show was made. And Graham MacDonald had the grace to call me, saying, Tony, I apologize, I was wrong. You were right. Congratulations. Well done. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, one of the things about this podcast, and I'm going to let you go because you've got other pressing things, is, is to widen the scope of Doctor Who fans because we can be very parochial sometimes. So if there was another piece of work that you've done outside of Doctor Who that you would like Doctor Who fans to see that you think they could benefit from, what would you say? What would you like them to see? <laughs> well, it depends what sort of... Uh, what, what fans are, what age they If they're young fans, I'd like them to see um, my series of, of children's novels, uh, The Baker Street Boys. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> well, get those. And your charity, uh, uh, Anthony, for, because this is all obviously gratis, what's your charity? Yeah. Uh, Sense. Brilliant. Yes, I'm a great supporter of Sense. And I will, Deaf, I... blind children, what could be a better, what could be a better, a better charity than that? Better call, indeed. Amen to that. Well, Anthony Reid, uh, thank you for letting me kidnap you. OK, thank you. Bless you. Thank you. No, thank you. Thanks to Anthony, who, as I'm sure you understand, uh, I could only get a short amount of time with. I feel like doing stuff at the 50th was cheating a little bit, but come on, it was the end of November. I'd only got December left and uh, what about 10 stories, so uh, I make no apologies for nobbling them off in that fashion. I could have done it. I could have uh, have really cheated at that weekend, but I didn't. Um, So, uh, here's the beginning of sort of next week's edition really but uh, because uh, Anthony's were quite short rather than cut the next one down I've, uh, I've locked a bit off the beginning bunged it on the end of this episode and then my victim will uh, will carry on talking to you next week so here's some more uh, this is an interview that should have happened very early in this process it's a measure of how crazy this whole thing has been is that this gentleman is actually a friend of mine and uh, I could have done it at any point in the year uh, and now there aren't many days left of the year, so I've had to grab him uh, before he goes home after a long day. So, um, long overdue, I'm going to ask him who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. Am I supposed to know the answer to this question? <laughs> you, are, you, you start with the hard ones, Toby. Um, I'm, I'm Mark Ayers, uh, for My Sins and Yours, and I have written music for Doctor Who many years ago. And I also look after the Radiophonic Workshop archive, and I've been remastering episodes of Doctor Who for more years than anybody cares to remember. You've, I mean, you've been, actually, I was making light of the fact that I'd been on BBC Breakfast and a few things, but you've been quite the media, I, I won't describe you how I describe myself, you've been quite the media darling. Media darling? Uh, oh, yes, I, I, I could see where you were going with that. Um, yes, it was, it was a mad couple of weeks. Um, it was sort of a mad year's work leading up to it, but we did the prom, which was great fun. And then, yes, in the week leading up to uh, the 50th, um, I was on television quite a bit, yes, doing the one show with the Radiophonic Workshop, which was a uh, complete madness, and uh, a repeat of the prom, and then the, uh, um, oh, what was it? Matthew Sweet's rather marvellous documentary, oh. um, recreating a Dudley Simpson session. That was a bit of a thrill, I have to say and uh, various radio programmes, so yes, yes. And then, of course, when the actual 50th arrived, I sat at home and watched it on television because I wasn't invited. But there you go, you <laughs> see, that, that's, that, that's the way life goes. Um, so, well, take us back, because obviously I always have an angle with, um, with actors and things in that I tend to know, you know, what, what drives somebody to perform mm. uh, and that sort of thing. 
Musician, you, 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 this, with, with, as a musician, you have to be a curious hybrid, or do you have to be a cu- cu- curious hybrid, in that you are a, a technical whiz, you are mm. used, you're used on the DVDs for your, you know, your technical prowess, but also the creative thing. So what comes first, the, the ability to understand how music works, or the creative flair? Well, well um, I mean, I am a curious hybrid, um, very definitely, because I, I never really knew when I was younger, what I wanted to be, whether I wanted to be an engineer or an artist. Um, I wanted to be an electronics engineer, that's what I really decided I wanted to do. But at the same time, music was my major hobby, and I was writing the music for school plays and whatever. And it was only when I fell out with my maths teacher, failed my maths A-level, and Birmingham would no longer accept me on the uh, electronics course, degree course, that I'd, uh, I'd been given a provisional place for. Um, that I then searched around and, and ended up doing a combined degree in electronics and music. Uh, and so I came out of that and thought, no, what I want to do is the music. It sort of completely switched. Um, so I came out of there, 1982, came out of Keele University, BSc ONS, third class, I'll admit to, because um, I basically did enough work they wouldn't throw me out, and that was, that was, that was, uh, that's what I did so that I could play with the 8-track recorder and the Fairlight. Um, but came out of there and um, basically got into television as a sound engineer, just thinking, I'll get into television somewhere. So that's what I did. I joined TVAM, which was the first uh, independent breakfast television company in the UK. Spent five years there as a sound engineer before going freelance. I went freelance forcibly because, although I'd been trying to pluck up the courage to do it, um, I hadn't. And uh, we were then all sacked because the management had an argument with the union or the other way around. We were all locked out. And so I wrote to every producer I'd met over the past few years, one of whom was John Nathan Turner, and bless him, he said, yes, come and see me, come work for me. So that's how I got into Doctor Who and did uh, Doctor Who Instant Music for two years. And I've taken it from there, really. So, yeah, you were working as a sound engineer. Let's backtrack because this, mm. uh, this podcast is only nominally about Doctor Who, as <laughs> I've discovered. Um, uh, TVAM, though, I mean, that's, mm. that's uh, going to have books written about it. Surely you must know where some of the bodies are buried. It, it's already had books written about it. it was, that was an extraordinary time. I mean, seriously. Um, I was straight out of university, no ties, living in a bedsit in, uh, in Kentish Town, um, getting up at three every morning and staggering down the road um, to do th- you know, three and a half hours of live television every morning as a sound engineer. It was enormous fun. I, I loved it. Um, you know, met a lot of my heroes, you know, used to come in as guests. Um, so I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed those five years. And a real massive learning curve for me, because as, as often happened, uh, people who'd sort of come straight out of school went into training in television in those days and spent sort of five years training and then got into sort of sound engineer roles. But if you had a degree, you would come out and, and basically bypass the training. So, of course, I went straight in as a fully-fledged sound engineer with, with people who'd already spent five years in the industry um, and really having to learn on my feet to keep up, keep up with them uh, because they knew far more than I did. I mean, it was quite, quite embarrassing at times, to be honest. But uh, I've always enjoyed thinking on my feet, and uh, you know, I, I work quite well under pressure. Um, so that was it was it was a really good time. You know, made a lot of really good contacts, a lot of really good friends, and um, yeah, took it from there. Made you know got got a lot of experience. You know, as I say, that's where I learnt my I learnt my engineering, as it were. And uh, you mentioned that yes, you got in touch because because you are um, 
one of those things that would be unthinkable today, which is a Doctor Who fan uh, <laughs> who gets to work on the show. Uh, <laughs> that never happens. That never happened now. No. Um, uh, so yes, you had been a sound engineer by trade, but you had been. You, you, I mean, you were known as somebody who did music because you did all the stuff for for Dwass and. Well, Keith Barnfather's Mythmaker series. I mean, when I'd been, you know, working at TVAM, when I moved back to London um, after after leaving university, having got my degree, moving to London to work at TVAM, the only people I knew in London uh, were people I'd met a few years previously through Doctor Who fandom. Because I was a Doctor Who fan as a teenager, I had gone to the very first Doctor Who convention in the Battersea Church Hall in 1977. I'd been to the 1977, 78 and 79 conventions. I then went to university and I kind of fell away from it. And I still watched the show, I was still keen on the show, I still bought Doctor Who Weekly. Um, but uh, I, I sort of fell away from fandom and then it was you know, three or four years later when I moved back to London and I made got back in touch with people like Kevin Davis and uh, Keith Barnfather who had, who I'd met all those years before and, and that's you know, what became my friendship circle. And uh, so yes, we, we got involved and you know, Keith had this idea for the Mythmaker series so we did that. Um, and then yes, I suppose I was... Uh, Andrew Smith got there before me, but I was certainly one of the first fans to get a major role, you know, known fans, to, to manage to score a major role on the programme in the on the production side. So yeah, it, it was it was an exciting time. But John John Nathan Turner, from, from what I've read, was was notoriously wary of fans yeah. um, being involved in the show so yes. how did you manage to uh, leapfrog that? He was very wary of me but I, I think I I think I convinced him I had something to offer to the show you know, in terms of being a fan but also perhaps having a slightly different musical take on it which is what he wanted You know, at the time he wanted a team of composers taking turn and turn about who would each offer something different to each story um, and I think he was very proud of, of that part of, of the show. And he was, John was also very proud of the fact that he was giving a lot of people their first foot in the industry, to a major extent. A lot of writers he gave chances to, directors, Andrew Cartmell as script editor, and, and myself and Dominic and, and Kef as, as composers. Uh, you know, none, none of us had massive experience, but I, I think he saw something. Um, you also have to remember... You know, it's been talked about quite a bit recently that the programme at the time was totally unloved within the BBC. Its budget year on year in real terms was falling massively. Um, and he was looking for people who w would put more in than just doing it for a job. And I think he was deliberately picking people who he felt had something you know, more to offer. And who would put their heart and soul into it? And he did it. It, you know, it wasn't just with me. It was, uh, you know, with Sue Moore and Steve Mansfield on the on the, the prosthetics. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the value in the prosthetics he was getting out of those two was way ahead of what you know, the budget was actually affording because they did stay up all night and put their own money into making their fantastic well, that, costumes. That, that it from spitting image. Oh, yeah. right. Yes, yes, <laughs> all, all, the, all the leftover rubber at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, people like Mark Tucker at the visual effects department, you know, who, who, who again were fans and really went above and beyond. And that's, that's the way the show was made, frankly. So, um, how did you uh, um, find, you know, suddenly being there working on your episodes of Doctor Who that are yours? 
Well, it was it was it was weird because I'd um, I'd haunted the radiophonic workshop for quite a while. I, I met Dick Mills at that first convention, nineteen seventy seven, and obviously I was you know a callow youth um, student, sixth form student. I might even not have been sixth form at that stage, but anyway, um, I persuaded him to show me around the workshop because I I was interested in a career in television, but whenever I said to careers advisors at school that I was interested in broadcasting, they they showed me towards the post office display, which basically meant sort of climbing up towers, putting wires on poles and things, which wasn't what I was interested in. They just didn't understand the idea that you might actually want to go into television or film to be creative and make film or television, which is something my school just couldn't get their heads around at all. So when I said, well, I've met this guy who works at the UBC Radiophonic Workshop, that's what I'm interested in. He's offered to show me around. They gave me a day off school so I could go up to London. And from then on, every time I was in London, I uh, would knock on the door and say, can I have another look around? And Dick would say, well, it hasn't changed. I said, oh, no, I want to have another look around. So I got to know Dick very well. Um, you know, he, he put up with a lot. Um, and through him, I got to know some of the other people at the workshop. And... Um, in fact, in about 1985 or six, I applied for a job there. Um, there was a job advertised in The Listener. And I didn't get the job, but Desmond Briscoe invited me in for a chat. And, and Desmond would often do that if he felt that he couldn't offer you the job, but he, he saw promise. He would he'd invite people in and say, well, you know, don't give up. You know, keep going. I think you've got something you're not quite right for us now. And that's what he did with me. So that gave me a lot of encouragement to keep, to keep going at what I was doing. And then, um, then yes, I got the commission. I walked into the uh, spotting session. I hadn't told Dick, but obviously he clocked it. So I, I, all the music spotting sessions, we used to do music and sound spotting sessions with the director, in that case Alan Waring, the special sound, Dick Mills and the composer myself, always used to be done at the radiophonic workshop. So I turned up for the appointment, walked into the canteen, you know, with a, with a, with a guest pass, you know. Hadn't had to be collected at the door by Dick. And um, his expression was... Um, I don't know what I, what I can say. He said, out of the frying pan into the... <laughs> basically out of fandom into the... That's typical Dick. Um, and that was it. And we just carried on like nothing had happened. I mean, Dick was absolutely brilliant. you know. And suddenly I found myself working alongside Dick. Um, but, you know, I, I already knew him. And, you know, we've always got on very well. So it just, it just fitted extremely well. And I, I, I didn't... You know, I didn't look upon it that I was... I was a fan working on my favourite programme. That would have been a deadly way to approach it. That would have been totally the wrong way. I was just very lucky to have been given a job. And it was my job to do the very best I could. And, you know, is a musician fitted to episodes? So is there a reason that your first story was Greatest Show in the Galaxy? What was it about you that led itself to that particular tale? I honestly don't know. I, I, I think John, certainly later on, was casting the composers. For particular stories, I think he—I—I I don't know how I ended up the greatest show. And I have to say, when he sent me the script, my heart sank because I hate circuses. I've always hated circuses. And then the second time I read the script, and I thought, actually, no, this is a really good thing that I hate circuses because I can bring all that loathing and all that distrust of circuses, <laughs> and I can put it in the music. And so that became part of the creative energy for that score. It was my own sort of innate distrust of, uh, of circus folk. Um, <laughs> uh, 
So, uh, so that, that that was really useful, but I, I don't know why. And then, of course, the next story he gave me was completely different from you know, Curse of Fenric. Mm. How, he, how he would um, sort of look at what I'd done for Greatest Show in the Galaxy and think, well, that guy would be suitable for a story about vampires in Whitby, I, I haven't a oh. clue, but... John, John gets a lot of stick, but he was he was quite a creative producer actually in 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 in, in casting and in, in putting teams together. So thanks to Mark and to Tony. Uh, Mark will nominate his charity next time. So Tony's Anthony Reed's charity is Sense, which is www.sense.org.uk. www.sense.org.uk. No trailer, because you know who's on next time. It's more from Marquez. So uh, here's, uh, here's a little reminder of some big Finnish goodness that's uh, out there for you to purchase, should you so desire. I'm on Twitter, at Toby Haydoke, T-O-B-Y-H-A-D-O-K-E. Um, follow me there and I will occasionally say something. I wonder, may I ask you a question? Of course. Goodbye. Uh, no, wait, the question. You just asked it. You said, may I ask you a question? That was not the question. You want to ask another question? Humans are so imprecise. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, Jago and Lightfoot, and Strax. Right, lads, this is a place. Is the house really haunted, Inspector? I gather there have been three other brainless bodies found in the last few weeks. You mean, this is the fourth? Your brain is suitable. My... I'm sorry? You will be. Just the wind, probably. Spectral creatures, show yourselves. Surrender now and your death will be swift. Yeah, ghosts, spooks, spectres, the supernatural, paranormal, uncanny, and just plain downright weird. Yeah, I, I try to explain, but he insists you, Professor, are the great detective, Madame Vastra. And he thinks Mr Jago here is an housemaid called Jenny. And he thinks you're both married. Corks. You mean he thinks we've got husbands? Not exactly. Then what exactly? He thinks you're married to each other. What heavens above? Big finish. We love stories. Mind you, he thinks I'm a bloke. <laughs>